Welcome to our podcast, We're Not So Different. I'm Samira. And I'm Ali. We're two professionals having real conversations about our experiences at home, work, and out in the community. We tell our stories through the lens of our different backgrounds to just find out that we're not so different. In our podcast, we'll explore ways that we can improve engagement and bridge social gaps while trying to find the humor in it all. Check us out on social media at WNSDifferent or email us at WNSDifferent at gmail.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of We're Not So Different. I'm your co-host Ali here with Samira. And on today's episode, we are entering into Mental Health Month. So we thought it would be appropriate for us to actually interview a mental health professional. On today's show, our guest is Jewel Love, who's the CEO of championsmentalhealth.com, who is a licensed psychotherapist. And we will be engaging him today talking about mental health uh, as relates to minorities and mental health as it relates to different cultures and the overall feel of people that might have something against mental health or feel like it's important or not important. He will walk us down the path of the important pieces and the important aspects of mental health and how it's important to take care of the mind as much as it is to take care of the body. So with that, I do want to introduce Jewel Love and ask him to provide us a little bit of a background on himself as well as the organization that he started and the organizations that he supports. Jewel? Absolutely. So I'm from Oakland, California, as well as Alameda, two cities right next to each other, but have a slightly different feel. Love both of them. Uh, From a mixed race background, my mom is Scottish Canadian white. My dad is black, African American from Chicago and Missouri. I was born uh, in a very multicultural area for those people who are not from the Bay Area. So just a lot of, you know, uh, Asian and African and Middle Eastern and just all the people of the world are here. And I grew up in a Buddhist community, a Japanese Buddhist community. So just a bit of eclectic uh, ism there for you. But it's not too different, actually, from a lot of people who grew up in the Bay Area. It's just part of our culture here. So that's just a little bit of my roots right there. Professionally, like you named, I have a few different brands. It's all under the Jewel Love MFT label. One of them is Black Executive Men. I help Black men in corporate America find inner peace through psychotherapy. Dope organization. We're doing some amazing things over here. Definitely check us out. And then there's Champions Mental Health. And how we differentiate from some of the other mental health organizations in corporate America, because that's our emphasis, is we're about personal transformation, not just talking about depression and anxiety as symptoms, but seeing them as alerts from the soul saying, hey, there's an opportunity here or needed here for you to upgrade in life, for you to maybe shed an old identity and step into who you truly are. And those are the conversations that we're bringing and beginning to bring to organizations as a whole. Sounds a lot like not only just mental health, but mental freedom as well. Would you say, would you agree with that? Man, I've never heard that put it, put that way. That, that really is what it is. You know, people ask me more from black executive men. They're like, how does this work? I'm like what, what is the benefit from looking at painful thoughts from the past or feeling painful emotions? And I say freedom, it's freedom from them. It's freedom to 
step into alignment with who you are now, not hindered by who you've been up until this point. It's freedom to create more than be a passive receiver of the inputs that are all around you. So yeah, definitely mental freedom for sure. So I want to set a quick base here for folks because I know we're going to talk a little bit later about some of the taboos around it, but let's, Mm -hmm. let's set a real base about what is the difference or the distinctions between mental health, mental illness and mental wellness? Yeah, definitely. So mental health is just this overarching category that includes mental illness as well as mental wellness. Uh, So mental illness often talks about specific diagnosable disorders. So people might say mental illness is depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, something like that. Narcissism, these are, you know, a personality disorder. And many of these are treatable through medication or psychotherapy, talk therapy, or a combination of both or other uh, mental health practices. So you can have a mental illness. You can have ongoing depression, but use medication or be in talk therapy and not experience many of the symptoms or very few uh, at all of the symptoms. But that being an ongoing condition for you, it's just treatable. For me, I have this, this weird condition with my it's this thing that affects my feet. It's called Raynaud's disease. And it's a trip if you ever go to the doctor and you're like, something's going on and you walk out with a disease and you're like, damn, like I, I'm in that club now. Like I'm in the disease bunch right now. And it's like, yeah, bro, life got real and you got a disease and you didn't ask for it. And you, you know, you, you, you stay protected, but yes, you have a disease and it's just part of who you are. And so Raynaud's disease, it's like a reverse, kind of like with your veins. So when it's really hot outside, they're supposed to constrict. And so you get few, less blood flowing through and it kind of regulates the temperature. And then vice versa, when it's cold out, they're supposed to expand and let more blood go through. And you know your extremities, your hands, and your feet can stay warm. So mine does the opposite. So during the wintertime, when it gets really cold outside it does the reverse and so it like cuts off circulation to my feet and i have to take this medication that they take i think it's for like diabetes and it helps to open up the i guess it's the veins or arteries something like that and so blood can flow and if i don't take it bro the level of itch and irritation is profound in my body Mm. and so i have I, i just have to take so illness we're talking about massive levels of discomfort And there's a stigma for many people around saying, oh, mental illness, and don't say that. And I get that. I get the stigma. And on the flip side, for many people, when they can walk into a doctor's office or my office, for that matter, I'm not a doctor, I'm a psychotherapist, licensed though. And I could say, there's a history for what you're experiencing, and it has a name. Mm. That can be a sense of relief for people that they're just not quote unquote crazy, but we already know about this and we know how to treat this and we can help you to become well and okay. So boom, there's mental illness. I want to just say that I've experienced that when I have, I, you know, when I had a lot of anxiety and not really understanding what was going on with me, it was kind of a scary experience. I didn't know why was I feeling tight in the chest? Why was I having panic attacks? Why, what was going on? And then when I found out it was because of my anxiety, it felt manageable. 
it was like, oh, okay, now that I know what it is and I know that I have to do A, B, and C to kind of manage it, it it was a little bit easier to digest and it was just, it just, the fear went away. So mm-hmm. I, I agree. Like, if you can go to the doctor to get that help and support and clarification, it, it does take away off your shoulders and helps mm-hmm. you address the issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So for mental wellness, it's more about maintaining a positive state of mind. So mental wellness includes often activities like meditation. I meditate every day, I'm proud to say, as well as deep breathing. That's a really good one too. For many people, it's time in nature, just being in nature and recalibrating with the vibration of nature and trees and the ocean and the earth can be very healing and brings a level of peace and serenity to the mind. For some people, it's a gratitude list. For others, it's staying in touch with family and friends, the social connection piece. But that's really about a lifestyle. And that lifestyle can include psychotherapy, going to your therapist once a week, every other week, once a month, to make sure that you are opening up and sharing what's on your you know, your heart and your mind that may be troubling you and getting some positive feedback in that way. So in my mind, those are two different things. And then as far as mental health, just being this, this, this larger category, as I was saying earlier, you can have a mental illness and still be mentally, mentally healthy because you're doing the things to treat it. And you can not have a mental illness and have poor mental health, just not taking Makes care sense. of yourself, but you don't have a diagnosable disorder. So you can, you can not have a diagnosis, but you can you not be mentally healthy or fully well at the same time. So just some distinction and it's important to point them out. No, I, I appreciate that. So I want to take a step back and then jump far forward real quick, just because yeah. again, we're talking about mental health in some communities. It still is a little bit taboo. Um, and we'll jump into mm-hmm. that. So what was it that led you down the path of getting involved in this area and then I want to piggyback on that and bring it forward to say, let's let's also establish the distinction between a psychologist, a psychotherapist, yeah, and a yeah, psychiatrist. Because I hear psychiatrist a lot and I hear psychologist a lot. I don't hear psychotherapy, but I do want to yeah. I do want people to understand that, hey, this is this is Jewel Love. This is why he's here. This is the passion behind what he's done what what he does. He's licensed and this is what he's licensed in as compared to other things. Yeah, absolutely. So what for me, what really got me into it was I started questioning my sexuality when I was 27 years old and it scared the shit out of me. Uh, I was living Mm. in Los Angeles at the time. Like I said, I'm from the Bay. In the Bay in LA, we got we got beef with each other. We don't really like each other a whole (laughs) lot. We don't. I don't. In the Bay area, we don't. LA don't even think about us from the Bay like that. (laughs) They just got love for us. But in the Bay, we're like, nah, we're different. We're not Hollywood, this, that, and third stuff. Man, that stuff. So I'm down in LA, and I'm there with my boys. And uh, these are my boys from college, hella cool, good dudes. And then I just started having these homoerotic dreams. And this was, now I'll keep it 100. This is not something I was totally, totally unfamiliar with. Like, loved women, you know, and, and then high school and junior high girls, et cetera, et cetera. But there, there had been a time for me where I would see a dude, and I'm like, Dude is hot. Like I, I, I could see it. Like I could definitely see it. But it wasn't really a thing for me until I got to be about 26, 27, 
And I remember I was laying there with my girlfriend at the time and we were in bed and I had a homoerotic dream and I was like, fuck, like this, this, this is a problem. So side note, psychotherapy, you have a really good niche oftentimes if it's something that the person is staying up late night thinking about, worrying about. Mm-hmm. Like you really want to get a divorce and you're laying up late night thinking about it or you're questioning your sexuality like I was at the time and you're laying up late night thinking about it or you got pain in your feet like I did and you're like up night because you can't go to sleep, whatever. So that was me. And I knew it was at that moment when I had to tell her and she didn't know anything about this. And I was like, I don't think she's going to take this very well. <laughs> and uh, But I was on my I was on my journey, my hero's journey at the time. And I was like, I just got to keep, you know, saying yes to this path and see where it leads me. Um, so I, you know, I woke her up and I'm like, babe. And she's like, yeah, you know what, what's going on? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I got something to tell you. And she's like, okay, you know, what the, you know, it's midnight or whatever. What's going on? I'm like, I just had a homoerotic dream. And, you know, it just was like crickets, you know, for a while. And then, you know, we just started talking about it and it pretty much went the way that I thought it would, which is the relationship ended. She was like, you need Mm. to go figure that out. And she was absolutely right. And I did need to figure that out. So next thing I know, I end up on the doorstep of a man named Dr. Donald Kill Hefner. And he was a mm. psychotherapist. So that combination of kill and psycho was terrifying <laughs> for me. I was like, this is not, mind you, at this time, you know, none of my friends are gay. No family members are gay. Like none of that. Like, so for me, this is a brand new whole, I'm in LA. I'm in West Hollywood. It's like the gay Mecca. It's like, I basically felt like I was just about to get turned out. And this was going to be the end yeah. of Jewel Love, as you know. My name is already crazy. So to be Jewel Love right. and then have that happen to me was like, oh, bro, like, damn, L.A. got it. But there I am. Knock, knock, knock. <laughs> Dude, oh, you know, opens the door. Older white guy. Uh, I don't know if you watch The Simpsons, but the, the psychologist on The Simpsons is a very round, older white man with a scruffy beard and glasses. And yes. this guy looks exactly <laughs> like that guy. He looked exactly like him. I was like, oh, that's where they get that image from. This is a type. So he opens the door and he's like, come on in. And I'm hella scared. Uh, uh, 100, I was like, am I, because I got a referral to see him. I'm like, am I getting set up to be this dude's boyfriend on the low? Like, is this a sex cult? (laughs) Like, I'm seriously thinking I'm about to get turned out. That's a crazy place to be as a human being. And I feel like it happens all the time in Los Angeles because you see it because yeah. people go down there hungry, wanting and desperate for fame. And, yeah. Yeah. and then people yeah. turn them out left and right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. Sell their souls. So another conversation. Yeah. So I thought that was my moment. I was like, either this is going to be a discovery for me or this is where I fall off. Like, this is that moment. And I walked in, went over to the, uh, you know, sit down on the couch. He sits down in his seat. So on the on the wall to the right, there's a picture of two gay men hugging butt naked in a stream. <laughs> so that's the first thing I see. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm lightweight. I'm lightweight in the right place, and I'm lightweight shook by what what's fuck's going on right now. 
So okay, so that's the first thing I see. The second thing I see is a big dick on the table, a dildo on the table, and I'm like, all right, it's hella gay up in here. Wow. And then I turn around, you know, I sit down on the couch and I look to my right, and I was a black studies major in UC Santa Barbara. I was hardcore black nationalist, probably as you can be in college. And so I was about, I was about that life. And so I sit down and I look to my right, and it's a picture of Malcolm X on the wall. Oh, and I was like, no, okay, I I need Malcolm right now. <laughs> you are my lifeline. So as long as as long as you could be Malcolm in that space, I was I was I was straight for all intents. I was good. Um, and then I saw a picture of Yoda on the wall, and I was like, I respect Yoda. Yoda's about wisdom and eldership and all that. And so I was like, all right, this is an interesting eclectic mix. And then we started talking, and I knew I was in. I knew I had found. Uh, I knew I found home actually at that point. Okay. And the experience became so profoundly, transformatively deep for me. It was everything that I was looking for in my life. My whole. It felt like my whole kind of life or, or, or journey of confusion and questioning my sexuality and and things of that nature. It, it was all my soul's way of moving me away from my family, everything I ever knew, my family, my, my identity on a sexual level, my friends, my community I grew up in, it stripped all of that. I couldn't lean on any of those identifiers to help me go forward. And that's a big mm. part of transformation on a spiritual level. And when you look at some shamanistic cultures and the hero with a thousand faces by Joseph Campbell, it's this archetypal hero's journey is, the hero or heroine has to leave home and everything they know to go through a transformative process and to come back Absolutely. to the village renewed with gifts to give and leadership to lead in ways that the community may be missing at that time. So that's really what that was. And, you know, I dated men and that was a whole thing. And then I dated trans women and that was cracking. Uh, that was an amazing experience. But ultimately, it just wasn't for me. And, you know, I'd circle back and I was like, no, I like women. I, I really, you know, that's really where it's at for me. But there was uh, something I discovered in that. And to bring it all the way back to some of your other questions is uh, this concept of men's work. And men's work began in the 1980s as a response to one of the waves of feminism. And I want to say it's like, so second wave of feminism, I think, was about women in the workplace. So maybe that, mm -hmm. but maybe third wave, don't quote me. And a lot of men, probably second, a lot of men were getting divorced by their wives and their wives were, uh, for ex-wives now, supporting themselves. They can make their own money. And so they're like, sure. I don't need this fool, I'm out. And so dudes were like, what is my role in society? Like, what is my value to the family, to mm -hmm. this unit? And so there was this existential crisis for men and this thing called the men's movement, healing movement started and uh, so my therapist knew a lot about that and he imparted a lot of information to me. And just briefly, some of that information, it's about hitting certain switches in a man's soul. And these are archetypal switches around mature manhood and mature masculinity. And in this case, uh, emotional intelligence. So that was done from an archetypal level about the elder that's inside of me about the father figure. I don't have kids, so this is on an archetypal level that's inside of me. And I began to mature as a man, the type of man that I am, 
incredibly fast. So from week to week, I started dressing better. My, my social circle improved. I got my master's in clinical psychology. My life improved rapidly and I became who I am for this part of my life, which is a healer and a leader uh, and a spiritual man, et cetera, et cetera. So <clears throat> all that to just say that I moved throughout that whole process. I left and then I came back to the Bay Area and I got on my I got on the track that I am today and have just been blossoming and flourishing and, and learning and, and in some ways struggling, but more blossoming and flourishing and being empowered ever since. So that's a lot of the backstory of what got me in this and why I really focus on transformation. And those symptoms are really signs and signals from the, the inner self, from the soul saying it's time to it's time for transformation and we're not going away until you answer this call. And so that's mm -hmm. where I come in is I help people answer that, that call inside of the, themselves. Yeah. I just want to say thank you for sharing that entire part of your story, because I know that I have met a lot of men who have gone through a similar experience where they were questioning their sexuality and um, didn't have the support or the guidance. And I think some of them may still be confused about it. So I appreciate you sharing that because I hope that our listeners can, the ones that this resonates with, that they can see that there, it, there can be clarity found if you allow yourself to, you know, get the help that you need to have the right conversations with the right people and allow yourself the freedom to explore that in a non-judgmental way and self-accepting right. way. So I, I'm really grateful that you shared that short story. Thank you. You know, I think that you're welcome. I think the dope thing, a good thing about it is it's just not your traditional story. It wasn't like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm coming out and I'm gay and everyone's like, yeah, or whatever, or boo, or, you know, whatever the response is, but, and that's it. Or it's like, no, I'm straight, always been straight. It's like, no, there's gray spaces here. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, 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 and it's just not a popular narrative because it's not a whole lot really talked about, but yeah, definitely to be able to, to, to name that experiences, uh, I think part of the medicine that I have to contribute to the, to the overall narrative that there's a lot of us and we're having a lot of different experiences. So yeah, happy to share, yeah. happy to share. The fact that we don't talk about it and we're not as comfortable being open about it, I can promise you it's not as traditional as you think it is. It's just, we don't talk about it. It's not non something yeah. acceptable, right? Yeah. So real quick, Jewel, let's yeah, go yeah. over the the difference between a psychologist, a psychologist, psychiatrist, psychotherapist, psychiatrist, and a psychotherapist. Yep. Sure, absolutely. So a psychiatrist think pills and think doctor, yep. a medical doctor, because mm -hmm. that's what they are. They're a medical doctor that prescribes medication. They're a medical doctor that has received. They've gone through all that process, resi residency, etc. And then on top of that, on top of that, they get extra training to be a psychiatrist and they specialize in uh, mental health disorders, illness, and how to treat it primarily through medication. So if somebody's like, I'm on medication or I need medication, you're likely going to go to a psychiatrist or a nurse practitioner that can uh, prescribe medications. But that's what they do. And they don't do a whole lot of talk. They're not going to do, we're talking 15 minute appointment. We're talking 10 minute to maybe 20 minute maybe a 45 minute intake, but normally it's going, how's it going? Buh, 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 buh. Get some numbers, some stats. Here's your pills, meds. We'll see you in a month or, or the next time. So that's a psychiatrist. Think MD prescribes medications. 
A psychologist yeah. is somebody that has a PsyD or a PhD. A PhD is typically more um, like for research-based, uh, people that are doing studies, things of that nature, and a lot of professors, they're going to be a PhD. PsyD is often more clinical. So they're going to go into treatment facilities or private practice primarily. And there's, an, there's a lot of overlap between the two, but those are generally the differences. And then there's what I am, which is a psychotherapist. So that's a master's level clinician. My formal designation is a marriage and family therapist, marriage and family therapist. So I'm an MFT. If you ever hear that, that's what that means. And what I practice okay. is psychotherapy. And it's very similar to what a psychologist will do, except I think psychologists are going to have more training likely on more in-depth training on uh, mental illnesses and specific disorders, and maybe some more training on exactly how to work with them. But what I do and what or I should say what psychotherapists and psychologists do are we help you get clear on your feelings. Many people never got that training. We take you right back to third grade where there's the happy face, the smiley face, the angry face pictures on the wall. And we walk you up yeah. to a collegiate level where you can name how you're feeling, hundreds of feelings at any given point in time to where you can reach emotional mastery. So that's the emotional part. The second piece out of three is a healthy mindset shift. We help you look at any outdated, outmoded, ineffective mindset shifts that you've carried until this point, begin to discard them, and then adopt healthier mindset shifts. And then the third piece is behavioral change. <clears throat> We're looking at any behaviors that you can change and optimize that can lead you toward your goals. More happiness, better marriage, better performance on the job, whatever your goal is. So it really comes down to those three pieces for psychologists and psychotherapists such as myself. It's gonna be your emotions, optimizing your emotions, your thoughts, and your behaviors. Yeah, so those are those are really the differences. That's good for, for clarification because I know sometimes folks can kind of bundle these things together, not a, not necessarily understand the distinctions. So before we get into some of your, your solutions and some of the things that you, that you focus on that are, that kind of transcend, not just from a corporate and executive uh, perspective, but maybe some of the things that you've learned in your path, just on a personal perspective, mm -hmm. I did want to touch on with Samira, you know, some of the things in our, in our differing communities and Julie, you can feel free to speak to this as well about the idea of mental health, right? So for example, in the African-American community, mm -hmm. a lot of it is we're, we're steeped in, in, in old tradition, we're steeped in religious tradition. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times our answers are sought through the Bible mm -hmm. or they're sought through, hey, just go talk to auntie so-and-so, grandmother so-and-so, <laughs> grandfather so-and-so and get your head right because all you need to do is get those silly thoughts out of your head or oh there is no such thing as anxiety you just need to continue to take a tablespoon of castor oil every morning mm -hmm. and, and and put them cigarettes down mm -hmm. or you, you're not depressed That's look funny. what the lord has blessed you with you mm -hmm. you know you got you got fried chicken every night and cornbread what's wrong mm -hmm. with you mm -hmm. uh sort of thing and, and samir I don't, I don't know what it is in the in the, in the Persian. Ha, damn, I never heard that. Is I 
if somebody auntie saying that you got fried chicken and cornbread, you should be good. It's, it's that sounds it's, southern. That sounds like root community so experience. Did that make it to California? No, my my parents are from. So you know, there's a huge southern population in California, this right? Is if true. you go no, back, this my, is true. This my is parents true. are from the south, right? My yeah. mom's from Louisiana. My father's from Arkansas. Yeah. Same thing with my aunts and uncles, but. What I'm getting at with that is is when we talk about depression. No, I get it. I'm, specifically, yeah, I'm just right? There's that, <laughs> you know, there's that mode of like, well, there's nothing for you to be depressed but about. about. Do, do both your legs work. Yeah, exactly. Do you yeah, have yeah, a yeah. place to, you know, can you a eat? Comparison. Yeah, like for the exactly. Middle Eastern community, it's pretty much almost everything Ali has said because we, you know, go to our elders, you respect your father and your uncles and uh, aunties and things like that. And you go to them for advice and support. But also there's the, there is the whole religious aspect where it's, you know, it, whether you're like Muslim or Christian or Baha'i or any, or Jewish, it doesn't matter what the background is culturally. It's still the same. If you go pray about it, go, you know, ask God and, and God will take care of it. Trust it'll all work out in the end kind of thing. And also a lot of that whole, you know, there's, there are people out there who are suffering way yes. more than you are. Like, I know my yeah. ex-husband used that line on me a lot when we were married. Like, mm-hmm. at least I'm not beating you. At least I'm not this. I'm not that. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, the impact of that, that dialogue right there, it's that, you know, there's a fine balance between gratitude and also addressing an oppression oppressive personality addressing you know whatever is missing for someone or whatever is not working so i think that for us it's like anytime i we would feel upset it's always like well at least we're not you know starving at least you know mm-hmm. we're not uh at war in a in a place where we're at war anymore um and things like that so i think in that regard i think we're very similar yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Jewel, the misconceptions. What are some of the misconceptions that right. you are, are the excuses that you hear, and then and then and then talk about you know what your what your response is as a psychotherapist, your learnings that. about how you work through that. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so it's a white people thing. That's the number one thing that I that mm-hmm. I hear in the black community. Yeah. This is not what we do. This is a white people. They'll you know they'll be. <clears throat> But, you know, maybe they got some money and they still shoot up, you know, a school or something like that. It's like, this is them. This is their culture. It's their thing. If you saw Get Out, we all saw Get Out. We all know about Get Out. And the reason why that movie was so terrifying was it played on the the old fear and the current fear that a white person is going to play with your mind. That was my fear of going into my therapist's office. I was like, it's this old white guy. I know he's gay. Damn, he's gonna play with me. I'm, I'm gonna end up this dude's boy. Like <laughs> it was just terrifying because that's an old narrative in the black community. It's being dominated by white people. Like that's the root. That is the root of 100%. much of that. Uh, through, we're talking about slavery. So, <clears throat> man, you know, and that's a tough thing to. That that's a that's a tough one. But <clears throat> that fear runs deep, and uh, and so if you're gonna already be vulnerable and then say you have to go talk to this person and they're gonna you know maybe like try and control your mind or like mess with your minds like well we got history with that 
and it's there's 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 some horrible history. There's some it ain't all good. There's a lot of bad. So it's a real risk, and it's a historic risk, and a risk that's played out in a very bad way. And then you get people that go to therapists and they start sharing about what's going on with their kids, or maybe their kids start sharing about what's going on at home, and then CPS shows up. CPS is Child Protective Services. And then, what, breaking up families and parents going to anger management class, and it's just not a lot. Just There's a lot of negatives between the mental health community, which is, we can talk race here, so primarily white women. And I want to, I got to give a shout out to to white women and white people in general for holding it down so strong on the mental health front, because I'm, I'm a fan of our field. And at the same time, there's been a lot of racial stuff that has just not worked between the black community and the white mental health community as well. So there's just a lot there talking about the black community specifically around, uh, so A, this is a white people thing. Two, can you really trust all, you know, doctors? Are they going to not understand you or not believe you or things of that nature or do something malicious to you? There's that. There's pieces around just looking great, like the way that mental health is looked at in the black communities, like this crazy, it's like, there's not a, how do we put it? Just a weakness, just a flat out weakness. So there's like, well, we're already oppressed or, you know, uh, looked down upon in different ways and by different cultures and (laughs) different people, et cetera. Like, do I want this to be added to my list of things that I have to fight against or fight for? And some people like, no, I'd rather just try to ignore that or leave that to the side and not tell people about it, et cetera. So there's a bunch of different reasons and cultural reasons that uh, that come to mind. And as far as what I am doing about it is I think there's a huge opportunity in the black community to talk about mental health and people are hungry for it, but it has to be translated. You know, I've talked to uh, some people, well-meaning white people who are like, we want to share our program with the black people. And they think it's with the black people. And they think it's easy just to put <laughs> black people on the front of the flyer and black people are going to show up. And that's not how that works. It's just, if it smells funny, we're, we're going to know. Like, we know that shit ain't for us. That we were there for a quota. And it may be well-meaning, but we know it's not culturally authentic for, for what our vibe. So we're not going to be there really. And so, you know, I I knew because I wanted to work in the black community specifically and with black men specifically. And part of the reason was because my second therapy, my second like for real locked in therapist, because I've had a few. Um, So shout out to all of y'all. Shout out to my therapist. Um, (laughs) 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 Yeah, uh, we in here. The right one makes a difference. Yes. So the the second one was I was leaving a job. It just wasn't a good fit for me a while back. And I said, what I really want is I want to have a private practice. I want to work with black men and I want my therapist or my supervisor to either be black, mixed race like me or Latino. Someone that understands Mm -hmm. the man of color experience. And I, I prayed on it. I'm a spiritual man. And so I put some prayer on it. I just, you know, pray to the universe, my ancestors, et cetera. And I wrote everything down I wanted. And this is like an impossible list in the therapy world. 
because there's so few black clinicians and there's even fewer black men clinicians. And I, that was on my list. And then I said, I want someone who's successful. I want somebody that focuses on working with men. I want somebody that's in Oakland and a few other qualities. And I, I put some effort toward it and I had this dream. And in the dream was my father, African-American, dark-skinned black man. And next to him was this other black man next to him who was like kind of African vibe and looking. And he had a drum and he wasn't playing it, but it was in front of him. And I knew that was my next mentor immediately in the dream. And, mm. you know, the dream, you know, then I eventually wake up. And I put it out there in the therapy community. I said, these are all the things I'm looking for. Can you all refer anybody to me? And I think it's impossible. And someone says, you need to go talk to Eugene Porter, MFT in Oakland. Black man, he's a brother, successful practice. He owns the whole building. All the suites in the whole building are his. And he's taking on interns. And I'm like, what? Yes, this could work. I called up Eugene. We met. Instant connection, instant connection. And so he was my supervisor. And the thing is we could talk about, we could talk about racial topics. And that was when I think like, you know, who what Trayvon Martin was getting, you know, killed and like a bunch of brothers and a bunch of people were getting shot. And it was just, you know, just, just nasty. Like the vibe was just really bad. And I could talk to him about that. So I was like, this is incredibly valuable. And clients who started to come to me Keep it 100 was everybody. I'm not going to lie. Everybody started coming to me as far as many men clients, white and Latin and mixed race and black. But I just really wanted to work in the black community and with black men. So I doubled down on it. And I knew the name, something like black men who were abandoned by their fathers and now have attachment issues in the relationship.com was not going to sell it. Like nobody was going <laughs> to buy that product. It's not cracking. So I really went for what's the aspiration of my client and it was to be an executive, the head honcho. And so that's what I, I doubled down on and called it black executive men. And people would come to me and say, but is it for Latino men? And I'm like, what in the title told you it was for Latino men? It's says black executive men. And they would say, well, but there aren't enough black men that go to therapy. I don't see how you're going to do this. Then they would say, well, black men can't afford therapy. And black men are, you know, and I was like, no, they're coming to me. I'm having a different experience than you all know about. And I've just built it and built it and built it and found my way forward. Now we have a very vibrant community here. But one of the things I want you all to notice or want you to notice is that in my title, Black Executive Men says nothing at all about therapy, first of all. Right. So that's sell the sizzle, not the steak. Somebody could say, I'm going to this Black Executive Men workshop and it just sounds dope. It doesn't sound like they need, they're broken or something like that. Um first thing yeah so i yeah whatever the second thing was but that was just a very powerful component to it and i've really niched down and made it as authentic as, as it is uh for black men in corporate america and it, it's just going great so <clears throat> that's the thing that i think about is one of the differences between when companies or whatever just try and get black people in and then when it's custom and made tailored for black communities so 
you know, we could just feel just affirmed and it feels authentic in that way as much as it does. So yeah, that's one solution. Then the other one I'm working on is champions and I got a bunch of other brands, but champions, I'm still leaning into to how that can be as authentic it can, as it can be. Yeah. So, and that's champions mental health, right? Yep. Yeah. Champions mental health and champions mental health. Just briefly, it's like I was saying earlier, it's more on not just meant just on anxiety and depression, but actually personal transformation for people. And that equating to optimal mental health. Yeah. You mentioned that you called your company Black Executive Men so that Black men feel comfortable coming into your workshops and it sounds cool and not so focused on mental health, but you do bring it in. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of the best mental health tools organizations need in order to optimize employee performance and and their well-being? Absolutely. So I just want to say that Black Executive Men, it's actually involved in a larger, we're, we're a part of a larger wave of mental health in the black community that's happening right now, not just for black men. There are a lot of different leaders and healers that are stepping up and being public voices. Uh, Henry Health is one of them. There's therapy for black girls. There's just a lot bubbling up right now in the black community surrounding mental health. So I just want to say it's a very vibrant time to have a discussion about black mental health or to be a provider right now. And there's new openings and awakenings that, from what I can tell, have never been there before. So I just want to name that Black Executive Men is a part of a larger movement, larger community that's growing around Black mental health. So a lot of excitement there. As far as what are the, the tools there and the crossover to just corporate in general for all people, is there's a, actually quite a few similarities. And some of those best tools that are Fully, yeah, I'd say transferable between those two. And then I want to focus on some specifically for champions, specifically for the corporate space. The number one thing is going to be emotional literacy. And I believe I talked about this earlier, but people are driven by their emotions, but very few people know what their emotions are at any given point in time. But we're driven to purchase things primarily by emotions. We often justify it with logic, but oftentimes when we walk into the restaurant or the dealership or whatever. Of course, we, we, we have our mind made up. I get it. But emotion is a huge driver in be it who we date or the friends we choose or the clothes we wear, et cetera, et cetera. So this is an opportunity for people to understand their emotions and understand what's influencing their emotions. And it's oftentimes some negative experiences from the past that have lodged into their psyche and either propel them towards certain things or hold them back. And so by being able to identify their emotions, it's really the royal road to their inner self. And from that place, we can start making some changes. Emotions are a doorway. They're a gateway onto the inner self of the person. And then from that place, we can, we can do some empowerment and some healing work. I do that with uh, my clients in one-on-one -on -one psychotherapy, they'll come in, sit down. I have a feelings inventory sheet that's branded with Black Executive Men, even though it's from the Center for Nonviolent Communication, and that's on there as a reference as well. And they'll sit there and say, you know, this thing happened at the office today. And I say, well, how did you feel about it? And they'll say, well, I just couldn't believe it was happening. And I said, well, that's a belief, that's a thought, and that's good because we're going to get there next. But how did you feel about it? And they said, 
you know what? I, I, I told the dude what was going on and then I left. And I said, that's an action. We're going to get there as well. That's also important. But how did you feel in that moment? I say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I say, I, I get that because we don't get that education, emotional literacy education often. So I hand them this sheet and they read over it and they'll, you know, scan it. The front side is like kind of positive emotions. The back side is kind of negative emotions, harder to feel emotions, more difficult to be with. And they'll say, angry. And I'll write down angry. And say, irritated. And I'll write down irritated. And then they start, you know, then some really interesting stuff. They'll say like, confused. And I'm like, see, now we're on to something. They said, confused. We have so much to work with now. We have so much to now talk about from that place about what they were, why were they confused? What's going on with that confusion? How's that showing up in other parts of your life? This confusion in these situations, sadness, anxiety, depressed, alienated, all of these feet. You hear how all that information comes up? How many doorways just came up through feeling words that was not there before? That's why I say it's the Royal Road and it's the gateway to the inner self where a change can happen. So that's something I do and I teach one-on-one and I also do that in corporate. And that that's, I'd say the first half and then the second half is gonna be optimal performance through behavioral change. It's what can they do different? If you don't change, it won't change. So we talk about what are some action steps. This is when I put my coaching hat on that they can do from this session till next session to improve their outcomes improve their outcome, improve their life, actionable steps. So those are two things that are definitely transferable. I'd say some things that are specifically corporate are around basics like EAP, employee assistance program, as well as insurance. Most employees in corporate America have access to both. And EAP, it's a huge resource that most people have heard of, but they don't know how to access it. They think it may be a lot of paperwork involved to access it, that they're going to end up talking to somebody that doesn't really resonate with them or can understand what they're going through. But EAPs are specifically designed for, I'd say, most employees to access. You can call them whenever you want, and they'll have a therapist ready to talk to you live, right then and there, on the spot. That's a huge benefit to have. The other thing they do is they can set you up with free therapist visits, be it online or in person. These days it's you know what is it coronavirus, so it's all going to be online. But these are free therapy sessions that are provided for you by your company, and you can even use them for your family members as well. So people use them for mental illness, they use them for marital concerns, difficulty with their children, things of that nature. So I bring this information as a bridge between the EAP providers and the employees so that they're more likely to use the resources that they have so they don't feel burnt out over time. So that's one thing. And the second thing I do is something very similar with insurance companies and the employees. And I really break down, if I go into a company, I read through your all's insurance policy. I get a copy of it from benefits and I read through it line by line for your mental health, and I figure out what the specific benefits, co-pays are for your people, and then I come in and I do an engaging, we do role plays, it's fun, it's not dry, 
unfortunately, not you know, not to hate on y'all, but at times when HR will come in, the presentations, people are not downloading what you're saying. It's going right. in one ear, it's going out the other. So I do something that's very engaging. I do role plays. It's funny. It's humorous. People are laughing in order for them to really get that they can go on Anthem or Blue Cross's website. If you're, you know, you want to work with a black therapist, Middle Eastern therapist, you can find them locally Mm -hmm. and end up, you know, in the next couple of weeks in the seat of somebody who looks like you, understands you, and then you're on your transformational process or your healing process. So I'm really a bridge builder between the corporation's resources that they're all they already pay into and enabling the empowering the employees to access those resources. So those are some of the pieces as well as an overall strategic plan and how to provide mental health resources for people of color communities that are in your organization. But that's really some of the pieces where on a strategic level, uh, Champions Mental Health comes in. That's awesome. And I love one of the things you mentioned earlier that our listeners can, you know, start practicing now, especially since we are in quarantine and we do have a lot more quiet time is when you have an emotion or you you have an experience that's impacting you instead of focusing on what the actions were and what happened, you know, maybe look at what happened and then take a pause and see how did it make you feel in that moment and then just start writing it out. And just start writing it out and working it out and see where that path takes you. And, you know, if you are, ben- are you, if you're privileged enough to have that health insurance um, from your company, you know, definitely take advantage of it. And if not, I know that there's a lot of apps out there that are now offering yeah. mental health services and support. Um, I know Michael Phelps had launched one and um, mm-hmm. there are a lot of free applications out there that give you access to people you can talk to. And, you know, in case you, you want to take that dialogue further, uh, but you don't have the health insurance or financial means to be able to, to uh, pay for a therapist. So I love that. I think that's golden. Yeah. What, one thing that would be good, Samira just kind of touched on it, dealing with apps and that sort of thing. If there were two or three things that you could give our listeners as takeaways, and I think now is kind of an interesting time in, you know, in, in the cor- what I like to call the quarantine spring where it can be even more challenging because, you know, people don't get separation from their spouse anymore. (laughs) They don't get separation from their child in school. The teachers Mm -hmm. are no longer in the picture. The daycare providers are no longer in the picture. Their days are longer because they they seem to be working longer hours for those of us uh, that are working or for the people that are not working. The additional frustration that comes with being unfamiliar with with the road ahead when it comes to employment. So I think now is is an even more challenging time in this moment than it has been for most people because those those breaks that you that are kind of built in that you didn't really recognize are just like, oh wait a minute, I haven't had to deal with my spouse for 24 hours in a row. Now I do. I'm used to having a 16 hour break. At this juncture, I kind of want to say like or, or, or kind of focus on with you is what are some what are two or three small things that folks can start to do today in order to better manage themselves in relation to their mental health. Yeah, absolutely. The the world that we're living in right now, and specifically what you touched on of families and people being all together at home. And there was a uh, an Italian psychology, and you see what's going on in Italy. They're just being ravaged, Northern Italy specifically, 
the coronavirus, and they said that um, divorce lawyers were getting calls left and right because people were stuck at home with their spouse, their significant other, and things that they had been brushing under the rug for years, decades, they just couldn't run from anymore. And it started to bubble up. And they just started (laughs) saying, basically, it's not funny, but it's funny in the sense of, you know, for those who have been in a long-term relationship, just it can get there. It can really get there to that place of high levels of, of anger or irritability. I'd say that's probably number one. And yeah. and just bubble over and boil over and say, you know what, this is just not for me. And so they're seeing that. And also what we're seeing right now is because people are on quarantine, uh, be it single or in relationships, et cetera, is the first couple of weeks, they were saying it's more of a euphoric, a euphoria of not having to go in to the office for those that don't have to and feeling like some level of freedom. But then in weeks three, four, five, six, uh, a new level of Uh, be it irritability or anger or frustration at being locked into one place can creep in. And so I think that's what, if we haven't started seeing it, you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on all these apps and I'm seeing people get weird. Like people are starting to do weird stuff. I'm seeing dances that I ain't never seen. And I'm seeing people like do handstands against the wall and like dress themselves that way. I'm seeing weird stuff. I'm seeing weird memes. Like people, this is the beginning folks. Like people are, people are letting loose a little bit and some other people are just not, they're not doing well and they're not, they're not going to be doing well. So I think, well, I'm a fan of, of personal authenticity and creativity and those things. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of mental health and well-being. So I think it's important for people to practice now as much or more than ever their mental wellness practices. So I would say because my phone has been ringing real nice as well. And my clients are all coming in for their sessions. People that have been doing every two weeks are now doing every week. So I would say see a therapist or a coach or mentor, but somebody who's there just for you. It's not a reciprocal thing. You're not there for them and not a friend, not a friend, Mm. a professional. Mm. See a professional somewhere that you have an outlet and that can help you manage the stressors or, or the awakening or the grief that you might be experiencing right now. So that would be my first thing is find yourself a therapist. If you have a therapist, go to your therapist. That would be the first thing that comes to mind. The second thing that comes to mind is if you can, taking some time to yourself by going to nature somewhere that's a natural world nearby be it a park i know there's a stay in place thing but you asked me so to a park or the redwood forest or somewhere where you can have a little bit of alone time and have that balancing of effect of nature without the kids without your spouse at some point just for you or maybe it is with your kids and your spouse that's great too but nature time can be a good way to get out of the house, to have some some fresh air and to reconnect with nature. So I could say a whole bunch more. I think one I will say, the last one, it's going to be winning daily. And I do an online motivational every single morning, weekday, Monday through Friday from 8 until 8.20. It's quick. It's in and out, a.m. And you can come and join. Go to winningdaily.live and get the Zoom link. 
and we do wellness practices, we do meditation, we do deep breathing, we do emotional literacy. Then we do your to-do list for today, what you want to accomplish today. And then we do that existential question of how do you want to show up at this time? What, what do you want to do to show up in a fuller sense of who you are, in a giving back sense of who you are at this time? So th- those are three resources that come to mind. That's excellent. That's excellent. Jewel, please let everyone know. List all your organizations, your Facebook, your 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 uh, Instagram. Your for a while. My Tinder account, got you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> more of your, uh, listeners That's the hottest account right now. Um, no. Uh, so no, I got some good stuff on there. As far as how to how to reach me, I would say let's do it. So for Champions Mental Health, it's that website, championsmentalhealth.com. It's spelled exactly like it sounds, championsmentalhealth.com. That's the corporate arm for Black executive men. I do have openings, availabilities, and I'm definitely open for business to work with corporations as well. Like that's rolling and, and up and going and excitement there. For Black executive men, I have openings there for new clients. We also have a a group, it's called the Golden Rhinos, Black Men in Corporate America. We meet monthly. It's awesome. It's a dope space. It's absolutely free for that one. So go to blackexecutivemen.com for that one. Winning Daily, the piece I just mentioned, it's the morning motivational. It's winningdaily.live because it's live. It's going down live on that one. So it's winningdaily.live. Find me on Jewel Love Jr. Jewel, J-E-W-E-L, love, just like it sounds, J-R, I'm a junior, my father is a senior, uh, and that's how you find me on IG, and you can just search me on Facebook, yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay, S- appreciate that, uh, Samira, any last thoughts? No, just thank you so much for joining and for being authentic and for um, the work that you're doing to help spread mental health awareness and uh, actual tools uh, to the community, uh, both the black community and other communities. So we appreciate you having you on and we're looking forward to seeing what else is next for you. Absolutely. Hey, and I love what you all are doing. I love your chemistry. I, I, I'm ex- I like hearing y'all, you know, talk together and be together and y'all are hella fun. So just keep doing what you're doing. Keep it, keep it real with people. I think, yeah, I just like what you're putting out into the universe. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. appreciate that. And and for all our listeners, you know where we are. WNS Different uh, is our handle on IG. Uh, we can be reached at wnsdifferent.gmail at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Google Podcasts. We are on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud. Feel free to join us. During quarantine, we will be doing happy hours every Thursday. Uh, Instagram live every Thursday from five to 6 PM for as long as we're on quarantine. So who knows that may be till the end of the year. If you listen to the pundits, thanks so much for listening. See you next time.